If you'll turn in your Bibles, follow on the screens beside me, turn in the Pew Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord. After David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there with his two wife, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. The men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men of Jabez, Gilead, who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabez, Gilead, and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed his loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you, because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant. For Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ibosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over Mahaniam and made him king over Gilead. And the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all of Israel, Ishbosheth, Saul's son was 40 years old when he began the reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. The time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So ends the reading of God's word. Children ages six through kindergarten are invited to proceed to the little landing. Good morning, Faith Family at the Landing. We're going to turn to God's Word and take another step in our trek through 2 Samuel. We will see beautiful and glorious things in this passage about how the kingdom has begun, or it has been manifest explicitly in David. This kingdom that we are now a part of by faith in David's divine descendant, Jesus Christ. This is instruction for us how to live out living in this kingdom as we watch how David functions. Would you pray with me as we begin to explore David's life as newly anointed king? Father in heaven, we come through Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit asking for your help that you would illumine to our eyes the glory of the kingdom in 2 Samuel 2. And we pray that wherever there are blinded eyes from seeing Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, you would unstop those ears and give sight to those blinded eyes. I pray that you would unblind the eyes of the Hamas from thinking that there's such a God as Allah when there isn't. And that they would open their eyes and place their trust in Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And I pray for Israel that they too would open their eyes, that to try to worship a God minus His Son is evil. There is no God apart from Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Give them eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to repent and follow the Messiah, King Jesus. And for America and the West and Asia, North and South America and Europe and for Africa and people yet born, I pray that you would open their eyes to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one true King over all kings, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Before him there is no other competing king. All kings borrow their brief reign from the eternal King Jesus and offer it back to him either as an offering of praise or as an offering of shame. Would you instruct us now in what it's like to live and move and have our being in the kingdom of Christ? that was underway before the foundations of the world, foretold and hinted at in so many of the great leaders and saints of the Old Testament, yet now manifest when King David comes into his throne in Judah of Israel. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. This kingdom is an eternal kingdom that David is anointed into. It's been in place before God created the world, and you can see hints of the kingdom of God in places like Adam and the way he's charged with ruling over creation, or Abraham in the way he's charged to be the father of many nations, or, or Noah in the way he's called to rescue and preserve his family through the flood. You can see the kingdom in Moses and in Joseph. And you can see the kingdom as it's revealed in Melchizedek and several, many, many examples in the Old Testament. But now here in 2 Samuel chapter 2, God anointed David back in 1 Samuel 16, but it was secret for all those years. As a teenager, God anointed David, and now David is probably 30 years old, and he has a conversation with God. It marks all true kings. They're always seeking a conversation with God. In fact, the first observation I want to make out of this passage is this. In the kingdom, graced kings seek and hear the voice of the gracious king. I'll say that again. In the kingdom, graced kings seek and hear the voice of the gracious king. You want to look carefully at David's life because all through David's life, there's a clear contrast being struck between who the kings are who genuinely live and move and rule and reign in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, honoring it, anticipating it, living like it in practical and in powerful ways, and then who the counterfeit kings are. There's always counterfeit kings present, always. This first observation comes from the first paragraph. Graced kings seek and hear the voice of the gracious king. Look at verses 1 through 4. After this, David inquired of the Lord, all caps, covenant Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? He said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron, and the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. 
on display and by contrast, and I hope this is so clear in your life so that you would follow David's example and reject all counterfeit examples, the graced kings always seek and hear the voice of the gracious king. David is on display here as being the exact opposite of Saul and the house of Saul. The writer of 1 Chronicles in chapter 10 makes it so plain you can't miss it. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord and also consulted a medium seeking guidance. He, Saul, did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Why does David honor the Lord? Because David sought counsel from the Lord. Whatever question you're facing in your life right now, do I marry this person? Do I go to this school? Do I go to college at all? Do I take this job? Do I take this promotion? Do we enlarge this building? And if so, how? Do I take on this ministry? Do I enlarge and invest in this relationship? Do I break it off? Every spiritual question, every physical, relational, emotional, and important question, financial, a career question of any sort, every family question, is put in your life in order that you'd be like David and not like Saul, that you would go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to speak with you and I want to know what your will is for my life. And please be specific. Is it Hebron? Don't you love how God puts specific pins right in maps for us? Hebron was in Israel. It's a beautiful place for David to go to. How kind it is for God to tell him to go there. Why? Hebron was not only the place where Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah were buried. David's coming into the line and living right near them. It's also near the place where his two wives are from, Jezreel and Carmel. So he goes back with his wives and and children back to grandma and grandpa. But more than all that, it's back inside Israel. You know David's been in exile all this time because of Saul. David's lived out in the Philistine territory called Ziklag. And David says to God, and this is the sweetest poignant part of the question, can I come home? Can I come back? Am I done being in exile? Every time you come to the Lord through Jesus Christ and ask God, can I come home? The answer of the Lord Jesus Christ is yes, come home. Some of you are out in Ziklag running away from the Lord. You know he's called you. He's he's called you to be his own. He's graced you and made you his king. But you feel like you're far away from the people of God and the joy of God and the blessings of God and the inclusion and the fellowship and the sweetness of God. Ask the question of God today, even as you're listening to me speak. In fact, ignore what I'm saying and ask this question of God. Let his voice be louder than mine. Shall I go up? Shall I go to Hebron? Can I come home? What was the origin of David's faith in God? He had been called in 1 Samuel 16 to be the king. He was chosen the least of all of Jesse's sons. He wasn't chosen because he was strong or mighty or capable or qualified. He was nothing so that God might be everything. By contrast, Saul was tall, head and shoulders above the rest, and everybody thought he'd make a great king, but he failed miserably. Why? Because he was tall and strong? No, because he didn't seek God. David seeks God. The difference between you and those who are counterfeit kings in your life is that you seek God. The graced ones, the graced kings, seek and hear the voice of the gracious king.
We have a relationship of community and intimate conversation with Him. Joel prophesied it. Peter said at Pentecost, it's now fulfilled and come to pass, that in the last days God declares that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That is, they will hear from me and have intimate conversation with me. Your old men shall dream dreams. That's me. And even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peter says that's the age we're in. Prophesying intimate conversations happen because we're in the time when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who says, Lord, shall I go up? Yes, go up. Where should I go? Go to Hebron. Come home. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever seeks the Lord will find him. Whoever knocks, the door will be opened to him. Whoever asks, receives. This kind of God-communicating word-obeying, intimate relationship with God that David has creates trust in all his family. Do you notice that? Every time a leader has a close, intimate relationship with God, every thoughtful, humble, honorable person around them trusts God to speak through them. It's so beautiful. All his wives and their kids and all his friends and their families, they all follow David back home to Hebron. Because they know David has heard from the Lord. David's forthright integrity engenders trust. What a beautiful picture when leaders trust God and others then trust those leaders to lead them. And David is rewarded for his faith in God. Look what happens to him when he gets up to Hebron. His home tribe, the Judah people, the Judahites, they recognize a new God had called him. And they said, you're going to be our king. It doesn't matter if the rest of Israel joins us. David, you're back home and we want you to be king. We anoint you king over us. God keeps his promises always. In Genesis 49.10, he said he would do this. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Jacob prophesied, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. We'll see in the course of 2 Samuel that Israel, the rebellious part of Israel at the moment, and Judah will be bound together, and then there'll be another separation. And all of those separations are just aching and grieving on us as we wait for the full unity of the people of God around the world. How God loves to reward those who seek him. How God loves to reward kings who seek him and do not seek all the right and the left hand lesser voices who offer their counsel. Hebrews eleven six 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here's David receiving his reward. You say to the Lord, precious Lord, you saved me. You've been gracious to me. You've called me out of death and darkness and guilt, and fear, and you've given me my salvation. You've given me my life. So who do I marry? Who do I start ministry with? Where does my career path go? What do you want next for our family? Do I buy this home? Do I step out in this ministry opportunity? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In the kingdom, graced kings seek and hear the voice of the gracious king. 
Having been chosen by grace, then seeking the grace of our King through His voice, we inevitably are filled up so full with the grace of God as He speaks to us that we overflow in love to others, even our enemies. It's impossible to say, go love those who are unlike you and don't want you and don't like you, unless you are first loved by a holy God who loved you as His enemy first. You realize every time God loves us, He's loving His enemies. Even while we are his enemies, God loved us in that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross for the ungodly. That's Romans 5. Praise the Lord, we come to the Lord as enemies, and his love transforms us and makes us not just into friends, but into sons. And then out of this intimacy with God by which we go to him and receive his grace and love, we then are free to love others, even if they don't ask for it or want it or might think we're crazy and weird. Look at verses 4 through 7. In the kingdom, graced kings extend love graciously. Observation number two. In the kingdom, graced kings extend love graciously. When they, that's the Judah citizens, told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, immediately you might think, okay, I remember Jabesh-Gilead from 1 Samuel. That's the people who didn't like David at all, didn't give him a place of refuge, and they were for Saul. It was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, covenant Lord, all caps. Wow. You're pretty generous with the blessing of the Lord, David. You're talking over these people who are opposed to you, and you're not exactly sure why, but you're extending graciously, lavishly, mercifully on undeserving people the blessing of the Lord, and it gets deeper and thicker. May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Just like Saul himself said, I'm going to honor Saul, David rather said, I'm going to honor Saul Even though Saul sought to pursue and kill me, I'm going to honor him. This is a call for you and I to rise up into David-like godliness. There's people against me. There's people who talk about me behind my back. There's people who don't include me. There's people who think ill of me. There's people who say false things about me. There's people who have dismissed me. There's even people who have begun to oppose me and attack me. My response is going to be, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. What's David saying? David is saying, you knew Saul was anointed by the Lord. You are honoring Saul, and in honoring Saul, you're actually honoring the Lord, and he's the one I'm following. So I bless what you did there. It's exactly what Jesus later says a thousand years later when the son of David, Jesus Christ, is teaching. He says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who oppose you. Verse 6, now may the Lord, same covenant Lord, all caps, show steadfast love, that's hesed, and faithfulness, that's emet in Hebrew, the biggest love, the strongest true faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. I, David, now, king of Judah, I'm going to do good to you. Oh, for leaders in our churches. Oh, for leaders in our ministries. Oh, for leaders in our nation and in our state and in our city 
who look upon those who could be perceived as enemies and they come bearing the blessing of Almighty God upon those who don't deserve it. Verse 7, Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Even though David has not been anointed yet king over all of Israel, he's acting so mercifully and kindly and lovingly and graciously even over other parts of Israel who formerly oppose him. In the kingdom, grace kings extend love graciously. Who's opposing you in your life right now? Who stands opposed to you as a Christian or professionally or personally? Who's opposed to you online? Who's opposed to you at your workplace or in your dorm room? Or who's opposed to you in your extended family? Who's opposed to you because you stand faithfully as a believer in Jesus Christ? Who's who's opposed to you in your life? Who resists you? Your call is to so seek the Lord and have intimate connection with Him that out of the fullness of your relationship with God, you turn to those who oppose you and you speak God's extended covenant has said love, even to those who oppose you. What Christ-like kingship we see in David here. Don't you just love David? You just say, I know he's going to be an idiot just a few chapters from now. And I'm not worshiping David. But I see Christ in David. And I see Christ in you. I know you face hard things. I didn't pick 2 Samuel 2 to be the sermon I preached today. God did. Love like David, and you'll be loving like Christ. Seek God like David, and you'll be seeking like Christ. Overflow with an inexplicable love for your enemies. You'll not only be acting like David, you'll be fully obeying and honoring your Lord and Savior, David's divine descendant, Jesus Christ. What your enemies cannot resist what they need more than they need their next breath is the same as you. God's steadfast love. In the kingdom, even graced kings are opposed, but they do not fear. In the kingdom, even graced kings are opposed, but they do not fear. Inevitably, if you love well, Inevitably, if you love people with the love of God in Jesus Christ, they're going to oppose you. That's the way sin responds to true God-sized love. Don't let love be degraded down into some odd, perverse manipulation of one another. Keep love up into God's biblical categories of what love is, and if you love someone that way, sooner or later, sin will oppose it. Look at verses 8 through 11. But Abner, not many people are naming their kids Abner. That's probably a good thing. Ab means son. His dad's name was Ner. He was actually cousin of Saul, and he was general over Saul's army. And he gets into his head, I don't want to be just a king. I want to be a kingmaker. See the difference? 
I don't want to just have a conversation with God and let Him tell me where to go and trust in Him and then, and then love others in a generous way. I, I see that that's what David's doing, and that's fine for him and his kind of religious piety thing. But I want to run the show. I want to get real. I want to pull the strings. I want to ride over the top. I want my vision to take on life in Israel. I am going to raise up a king, and that king is going to be my puppet, and I'm going to pull the strings, and he's going to do exactly as I say. And Saul... Even though he's dead, his, his whole legacy of running the world his way in pride and in strength and in power, that'll live on in me, Abner. You can see why I'm glad people aren't naming their kid Abner. Look at how Abner functions. Verses 8 through 11, Abner, son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth. Ishbosheth means man of shame. Fits the name Ishbosheth, man of shame, the last son of Saul, the one that's not dead, and brought him over to Mahanaim, and he made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Yeah, 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 you Judah tribe, you just love your David so much, you make David your king, that's fine. The whole rest of Israel is still under Saul's sway because his youngest son, Ishbosheth, yeah, I know he's a man of shame, he's still going to be a great puppet. You all can be kings and worship the king of kings. I'm going to be king maker. I'm going to be the one who's more like God than anybody, says Abner. 10. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel, and he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. This unholy ambition that Abner has to make Ishbosheth Saul's son king ultimately ruins the unity God commanded in Israel. He, he says in his lust for power and his desire to be a mover and a shaker and a kingmaker, he actually sets Judah into battle against the rest of Israel. And people lose their lives at the rest of this chapter, next Sunday's message, because of Abner's pride. You see it in nations, you see it in ministries, you see it in churches, where someone decides from the background, from the back row, behind their computer screen, they're going to run the whole organization. They're going to abnerize their way into power with pride. They're going to lay unholy hands on the holy bride of Christ. And you know what inevitably happens? Two things inevitably happen. The person who lays unholy hands on the bride of Christ ends up despising and hating that bride and running from her. And because the one who has unholy hands runs from the bride of Christ, which Christ loves, he or she no longer loves what Christ loves, and they discover themselves never having known Christ at all. Abner will die in just a few chapters, a very ignominious death. We see how it begins here in this paragraph. Commenting on this paragraph, the reformer John Calvin said this, We have here in Abner a mirror to show us how pride and haughtiness is a mortal plague which is bound to dissipate the church of God of which the reign of David is a type. You know what? All Abners know better. All Abner's know better. Abner's going to switch teams. He's going to realize his Ishbosheth man of shame thing isn't working very well. So just like politicians jump and ship, 
he's going to jump ship. He's going to come over to David's side. And he's going to make a case for himself to come over to David's side. In chapter 3, verse 18, he says this, For the Lord, Yahweh, has promised David, so now Abner's talking, and he's openly confessing what he already knows. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people, Israel, from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. You know what, Abner? You have just opened your mouth and showed that you were wrong the whole time to set up Ishbosheth against David. You knew David was anointed over Israel. Nana, nana, boo, boo. You blew it, Abner. God will always make sure Abners are found out. Paul says to the Corinthians, but in the following instructions I do not commend you because you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. Don't think divisions are God's crushing plan A and it falling apart, and he has to scramble for a plan B. God says through Paul, divisions and factions happen in order that eventually those approved or genuine may be recognized. If you're tempted to be an Abner, go before the Lord this very instant and say, Lord, root this out of me. Root this out of me. Don't let me be like this. Let me be content being a king and not have to be the kingmaker. Cut off at the knees my pride and my lust for power. Help me to see that my unholy hands steadying the ark of God are no cleaner than the ark falling right off into the mud. If you're a David and you spot the Abner's marshalling their puppet king and their counterfeits and politicking their way through life. Pray for them. Show grace and love and kindness to them as true kings always do. Listen to how the Apostle Paul drew all this into his letter to the Romans and the Spirit draws it into our very hearts. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, capital S, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is telling the Romans and the Spirit is telling us Jesus is king in the Old Testament. Jesus is king in the New Testament. Jesus is king before the foundation of the world. He's king now and he will be king forever and ever and ever, never to be dethroned. Bow as king before the king of kings. Know that he has called you. If you're not a believer today, you need to come before the king and say, Lord, would you have me as one of your kings? Let me be among the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the chosen people, a kingdom of priests to our God. 
If you're a child in this room and you've not trusted Christ, let the sound of my voice and the conversation you have with your parents later be the day in which today you draw near to God and believe in Him for salvation. If you're a David, recognize that the calling on your life is to be royalty. Yes, it's secret and hardly anybody knows and so many treat you otherwise. In fact, you might have been out of the very boundaries of Israel and in your own ziklag for a long time, but come home. Take your place in faith and let the Lord reward you with anointing as king. Those who know and love the Lord will gather around you like Judah and they will say, yes, you be our king. And then out of the overflow of the way God has loved you, go to those who yet are in their own Jabesh Gilead, honor of Saul mode, and say, I bless you, I bless you. May his hesed love and faithfulness shower down upon you and let the influence of the mighty voice of God through you bring about good wherever you go, not division and harm, not unbelief and doubt, but peace and life. Every one of you ought to know and admire a woman named Gladys Alward. Every one of you ought to know the story of a British missionary, born in 1902, died in 1970. She was called by God to become a missionary to China in the 1920s, and she went there and she began to teach children, these beautiful little Chinese children. And then, and then Japan declared war against China in the 1930s, and they would send Japanese bombers over the northern province of China where Gladys Alward was a missionary and teaching these beautiful little children the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden she was told by the other more senior missionaries, you have to evacuate out of here. Bombs are going to be dropping on our village and on our roads and on our communities and bridges and on our homes. Gladys grabs up all the little kids and covers them with all the, the layers of clothes they had and she, she climbs up on the nearest train and she tells all the kids to, to climb to the front near the engine, go to the coal car and bury yourself under the coal. She made a game out of it. Every kid buried themselves under the coal and the Japanese planes would fly over and didn't see anybody on those trains. Just coal. All the kids were saved through Gladys Alward. She later became a mighty voice uh, in the community or in the whole region of Yangcheng. Many years later, the head of the province, a Manchurian governor was his title. He paid her as a woman to go out into all the region of China as a, as a king. She's a David-like figure. She's singing songs and hymns, and she goes out into every home of all these Chinese women, and they, she unbinds their feet. You've heard this story. They had tiny little feet. Now their feet are unbound so that they can actually walk as normal human beings. And she would later reflect on how she loved to walk through those villages and listen to the hymns that she taught them being sung by older ladies who she unbound their feet as children. But like a David figure, know this about Gladys Alward. She had a might and a power that came with the Spirit of the living God that rests on you if you trust in God. It's the very same Spirit that anointed David and came through Christ and was poured out in Acts as we read and now is across the face of the earth and dwelling within the heart of every believer and empowering you to live out your life like David today. There was a riot that broke out in the worst prison in her region. 
about 500 prisoners began fighting and killing each other, and the guards and those in authority simply were overrun and could not stop this battle, this, this week-long riot that was happening until finally, in desperation, the leaders of the Chinese prison called the missionary, the tall, white, British missionary, Gladys Alward, to come. She began to pray, and then in the midst of the din of fighting and blood and weaponry and death, she raised her voice and she began to pray. And by the time her prayer was over, the room was quiet. Life is war. If you think it's anything other than war, you'll be constantly disappointed and discouraged. If you realize it's war, you say, okay, you win, God. I'm on your side. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll go to Hebron if you want me there. I'll go back to Ziklag if you want me there. Wherever I can glorify you the most, wherever I, a David-like man or woman, can live out my kingly royalty, where I'm hearing from you in sweet, intimate conversation and that overflows, I'll speak your love generously and broadly to people who don't have a clue what I'm talking about and certainly don't deserve it because that's how you loved me. You spoke your hesed love to me long before I deserved it or even wanted it. Leave your reputation to the Lord, David's. Gladys's. Leave your future to the Lord. Leave your finances to the Lord. Leave your career to the Lord. Leave your ministries to the Lord. Seek Him. Follow Him. Give yourself to Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And then just have one job. Stay close conversation with the King of Kings and love everybody around you with His love in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Give repentance to every Abner or every spirit of Abner that wells up in me or anyone. Give strength and renewal and courage to every David, man and woman David in this room. Send off and create multiple Gladys Alward types who go out with boldness and are given supernatural power to carry out your will over the hurting, the guilty, the afflicted, the wounded, the oppressed and needy. God, I thank you for the landing. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the privilege of worshiping you in the company of David's. I thank you for the way our voices sound when we lift them to you. Oh, be pleased, Lord, in our squeakings and squawkings as they come before your throne. Be pleased as we would extend your love to a hurting and needy and undeserving world. Be pleased as we would have close intimate communion with you where you send us to the Hebrons of our next day's task. How I thank you for this precious book, prophetic in power. How I thank you for 10,000 good things you're doing through this simple chapter and my foolish sermon in the lives of these people and beyond. In Jesus' name, I pray, and we respond together. Let's sing.